Turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 26, and the ushers are going to hand out some seeds. And I want you to take one. It's a big butterbean seed. Take one big speckled butterbean seed. I'm going to talk about it this morning, about that potential power that's in that seed and what it can do uh, in spiritual parallels in our life. I started a series oh, last week called Blessed. Can you say it with me? Blessed. It just sounds good. To be blessed is simply to find God's favor in your life. And it's a series about teaching you how to experience God's favor in everyday life. I'm one that's found that the Bible is not just a book of history, but the Bible, if you'll live by it, if you'll integrate it in your life, how many know the Bible works? Can you say that? The Bible works. It's not just show me how to get to heaven and that's it, but it is life-giving and it's God's directive for our lives. Well, Genesis 26 where we're going to read. By the way, I'm using a book in this series, too, called The Blessed Life. Uh, it's by Pastor Robert Morris. Uh, there's a few left. We ordered another case. I would pick up one. It's a great little companion to our series. But Genesis 26, verse 1, we're talking about Isaac in the Old Testament. The Bible says a severe famine struck the land. Now, we cannot, I can't identify with the famine. I've lived in America, a land of abundance all my life. Today, when famines wreak the world, I mean, no, people die when there's a famine. People do without. People lack. People suffer needs. Well, in today's world, you know, if there's a lack or a need, thankfully, we have some backup systems in our government and charities help and people help. Well, guess what? In their day, there's no Walmart. There's no Sam's. There's no Super One. I mean, when, when, when it's not raining, there's no crops and you're in big trouble. But how many know, though there may be a famine in the land, how many know that doesn't affect God's ability to take care of us? Now, that's where we're going. Uh, verse 2, the Lord appears to Isaac and said, Don't go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you to do. Now, the natural thing to do when there's a famine or there's a problem, what you do is you go somewhere else. If you read our local newspaper this morning, the lead article said that the census for uh, southwestern Arkansas, all the counties, lost population in the past 10 years. And what happened, for example, the town of Stamps. They used to have a furniture manufacturer. 400 people worked there. Well, guess what? When the plant closes, what do people do? They move away. They leave. Because there's a famine. There's lack. There's need. Well, what we're going to see is God suggesting something that's different to Isaac. God told him in verse 3, I want you to live here and I will be with you and, come on, say it out loud. I'll bless you, I, which simply means I'll take care of you. So don't be afraid to stay there. Verse 12, let me know it's not enough just to believe right. Let me know you've got to have faith. You've got to do what God says. And that's what he did. He obeyed the Lord. He planted his crops that, land, that year. And he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted. Why? For the Lord so here's what I want you to see, and obviously there's parallels in our world today, in our local economy in America, your personal economy, whether it's up or whether it's down, how many know God is consistent and God is able to take care of me no matter what's going on around me? Well, how many know that's not automatic? It doesn't just happen. God's care for you. You've got to be walking with God. You've got to have patience. I look around the room this morning. I see godly people that have walked with God for decades of their life, and they're under some financial pressure right now. How many of the Bible doesn't exempt us from financial pressure? I mean, listen, it doesn't. I mean, there's people throughout the pages of Scripture. Sometimes they're in poverty. They struggle. Some, some are rich. But yet, when we're in the middle of a place that's not desirable and it's a little tight, how many know we need faith to continue to walk with God, to continue to believe God, to continue to trust God? But you'll find in your life that God is a faithful God and He's able to care for you no matter what's going on in the world around us. And I want you to see in this passage, everybody else is struggling, 
But Isaac was taken care of. And can I tell you this? The same God that took care of Isaac is the same God that can take care of you today. The same God that took care of Isaac in a famine is the same God that can take care of you. If you lose your job, if you become unemployed, if a large employer closes, if your business takes a downturn, you know, if you have, a, if you have to go to the doctor or some problems in your life, the same God that took care of Isaac can take care of us. I want to read you an email because what I'm talking about this morning is not gimmicks, it's not schemes. If you want to get rich quick scheme or a gimmick, turn the TV on late night. Now, you've got to be careful because it's some pretty wild stuff out there. But I guarantee you, you'll have three or four people on there saying, if you'll just you know, buy this book, if you'll just go to this seminar, then you'll be making thousands of dollars every week from your home and you won't have to do a thing. You ever heard the phrase, there's no such thing as a free lunch? It's not a Bible verse, but it's pretty true in America. I'm going to read you a little testimony about someone that lived this. Pam Patterson, she, a member of our church, allowed me to share this. She said, yesterday I completed our 2010 taxes. I was astounded to see that our income for 2010 was more than 2009, and we'd given more offerings in 2009 to charities, particularly for Haiti. I anticipated a decrease, but God increased us because I didn't work for three months of the year. Now, she's working on a master's degree, and she's still working herself through school, but she had a medical problem and was out of work for three months. Now, how many know that's not a good thing? I mean, if you live on X and you've got three-quarters X, how many know in the natural that just doesn't go as far? But I'm going to talk to you about what I'm calling kingdom math this morning. You learned in school that three minus one equals what? Yeah, well, the kingdom math can say three minus one can equal four if God blesses it. Now, stay with me. Here's what she said. She said, I didn't get a disability check. I didn't receive a huge check, no settlements, no inheritances. But God supernaturally took care of our every need. And he carried us through a tumultuous time with my employment in school. I cannot go on today without, first of all, thanking God. Now, listen to what she says. I put myself, our situation, my health, my friends, my enemies, my frailties, all my issues on the altar of God. And he supernaturally exchanged my mess and gave me His grace to sustain us in difficult times. God's teaching me to walk in humility as I realize that He is ultimately responsible for me. Now, that's huge. He is ultimately responsible for me, my family, my future, and I'm not. Uh, we just submitted ourselves to Him as our Lord, and He granted us peace, knowing that He'd take care of us. Most of our giving to others took place before my accident, so I had no way of knowing what the seeds we were planting for. But God knew. My only admonition with the experience is that we need to walk in love, walk in obedience, walk in humility, and walk in expectation that God will honor His Word. Now, okay, hey, that's as real as it gets. You and I as Christians are not exempt from the problems of this world. How many know Jesus said, in this world you'll have... Yeah, but guess what? I Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And what I want to tell you today is we walk through times in life, we can either walk in places where we find God's blessing on us, God caring for us, or we can pretty much walk it alone. There's two things we share this morning. If you get up and come to church on a Sunday morning, I know, number one, you have some desire for God, some love for God in your life. But something else I know that's true about all of us is we want to be able to have a good life. Everyone in this room wants to have a, a home to live in, wants to have a decent car to drive. Every one of us wants to be able to take a vacation this summer. And everybody said, Every one of us wants to be able to take care of our kids. 
uh, I've got an 11-year-old, and she's uh, she signed up for softball yesterday, and I just decided she needed a pitch back, you know, where you throw it against it, and it comes back to you. And uh, so we went to Academy yesterday. We're making our little pilgrimage, and we're looking at that, and, you know, we're looking at what size softballs to get and all that, and she spies this pink bag. Now, I'm practical dad. I'm going in thinking, we need a pitch back, you know, we need something to teach you how to hit the ball, something to help, you know, and I'm not there, she's not at practice. But she said... Dad, I need something to put my helmet and my bat in. I need, I need something to carry myself. And they've only got one pink one left. I said, well, that's fine, honey. Do you want to pay for it? And what'd she say? Yeah. yeah she, same girl. Same girl. She said no. And we're walking around the store, and she just knows how periodically to talk about that bag. Well, as we negotiate, I said, would you pay half of it? Knowing that if she said no, I'd still probably get it. But she said, yeah. And I said, well, go get that bag then, honey. It's just in every parent, you want to be kind to your kids. I mean, there's something about it. I guarantee you, when you saw that, that uh, little video about the bus, and you maybe have kids or no kids, we all want to do things to help people. Well, how many know you've got to be blessed before you can be generous? You know, you've got to have something before you give anything in life. And all of us share that desire that we'll have our needs met, that we'll be able to plan for the future, we'll be able to care for those that we love. But guess what? We need God's blessing because we're not smart enough. How I many know we don't know enough nor have enough to guarantee tomorrow? But God can take care of us. And in this series, don't worry, there's no surprises at the end. I don't want anything from you. But I want to help you as we look in the Bible together together to see people whose lives were blessed as they walked in their relationship with God. So go in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to talk to you about kingdom math this morning. And I want to talk to you about four things that all tie together. First and perhaps most important is God is our provider. Can you say, God's my provider? Yeah. He's our source. I want to talk about the supernatural principle of multiplication. And then I want to talk about a powerful trio, and that's this, that faith, obedience, and generosity release God's resources or in His provision. And lastly, we'll close with this one, is that God can take care of me when I put His kingdom ahead of my own needs. But let's look at 2 Corinthians 9. I want to take just a moment or two just to re review a scripture we looked at last week, that God is our provider. Now, in this particular context, there's a famine in uh, Jerusalem, in that part of the country. Agabus had prophesied in the book of Acts that there was literally going to be another famine. So that's a theme this morning. You'll see we're going to look at uh, three famines this morning and one kind of mini-famine, all of which times where there's scarcity, but all times that God was using different means to care for his people. Now, in this one, uh, the Christians in Jerusalem, are, are they're, they're suffering. They're in need. There's problems in the world. And Paul makes his appeal to the Gentile world, which is the rest of the world, basically saying, listen, you owe a debt of gratitude to the, to the Jewish people. Let's help them. So he's going around the Mediterranean world raising money for the Jewish believers. And I want you to think about what he said. Now, I need a couple seeds, too. I missed out. I need two or three. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, He's been talking to them as they're caring for their, their, their friends in Jerusalem. He says, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get what? Small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Now, I'm a, I'm a gardener. It's a hobby. I was raised on a farm. I love to do it. I've got this cabbage, that, this big old cabbage that survived the winter and even survived all this cold weather we've been having. Some little spinach made it through and some onions. And, but in a few, when it gets a little warmer, I'm going to put seeds in the ground. And here's something I know. The more of these seeds, if I put the right number of seeds in the ground, I'm going to get a good crop. 
I, 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 I do my gardening on raised beds, and they're about that wide, about 50 feet long. Well, I can either plant one row of corn, and I could put that corn seed maybe that far apart. Well, how many know if I got 10, ears, 10 pieces of corn or 10 stalks of corn, I'll probably get about 10 ears of corn. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to put two rows down that one bed, and I'm going to put them about that far apart. And we'll have the potential to maybe get a hundred rows or a hundred different ears of corn. Well, how many know what you plant determines what comes back to you? And that's the essence of what he's saying. He's likening our generosity, was the theme last week. He says the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Then he says you've got to decide in your heart how much you're giving. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now, last week we talked about our motivation for giving is not to get. I mean, no, that's greed. I mean, it's just disguised. I think it's an abused scripture verse. I give because, number one, I care about people. It's the second great commandment. Love your neighbors yourself. And number two, I want to advance God's kingdom. I want to do anything that I can to foster the advancement of the kingdom of God, whether it's putting a dollar in a globe to buy some Bibles, whether it's to help foster a group of people going to India, whatever we can do to make a difference. i got a picture this week, maybe we'll show it to you next week, of a, uh, we sent $1,000 as a church not too long ago to Mexico with Larry Myers. Uh, the people were freezing. I mean, we sent a team down to Chiapas, I guess it was last year sometimes, and they said, oh, it's the coldest we'd ever been. It was 45 degrees, and we didn't dress warm. And I got to thinking, and when they got back, I said, how about the people that still live there? Well, guess what? When you've got extra, you can give extra. And you can put coats on people, and you can put blankets on people. Well, we talked a bit about that last week, about how God wants us to be generous and not have stingy hearts as we, we care for people. We're not giving to get, but we're, we're giving because we, we love God. But look at verse 8. And this is where we begin a little different direction this morning. God will generously provide all you need. Now, typically when you think about giving something, three minus one, your gift equals what? Two in the natural world, but kingdom math, it can become four. As you're a generous person, God generously provides what you need, and then you'll always have everything you need and, I'm just reading the Bible now, plenty left over to share. So as you're entering in this flow with God, God cares for you. You care for people. God cares back to you for your needs, but also to be able to care for other people. Verse 10, and I want you to catch the phrase again the second time, God is the one who provides. Now in verse 8, it says God provides what you need. Again in verse 10, God is your provider. He gives seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. Now that's interesting. I understand some of the dynamics of seed. Now, this seed, how many know if I'm just playing with it, I can break it in half and it's, and it's well, maybe I can't, it's dead. It's not going to grow. It's life. If you look at this seed right now, it, it pretty much looks lifeless. If I drop it, you know, it doesn't fly, it doesn't move. You know, it's got nothing that indicates life's coming out of it. But God has, gotten, has designed this thing, so if you put it in the ground, the temperature is right, it's got moisture, it's going to grow and it's going to produce something. Well, that's the same supernatural God that does that. He's our provider. And how many know God is the one that's provide bread? That's what this scripture said. He gives seed, but he gives bread. Didn't Jesus tell us every day to pray that God would give us? That he would care for us. So the Lord is the provider of your bread. And I'm going to talk about that. He goes on to say, uh, he provides and increases our resources and produces a great harvest of generosity in you. Now, this same power that multiplies a seed is able to multiply our generosity, and I'm calling it kingdom math. Three minus one 
If it's just kind of you and your own way and your own management, it'll equal two. But if God blesses you, three minus one can become four. Now, I want you to think about that. We're going to talk more about multiplication in a minute. But, but I, want to, I, I want to ask you this question. Who is taking care of you? Is God taking care of you? Are you taking care of yourself or somebody else taking care of you? Now, maybe, you know, maybe you've got, uh, you know, a sugar daddy inheritance and somebody gave you tons of money and uh, that's what takes care of you. Maybe. Maybe you work real hard. Maybe you work 60 hours a week. Talked to a man last night. He made tires at Cooper Tire. He said, I worked all my life. I guess got up. I worked hard. But I didn't really think about the fact that God is the one that's providing for me even though I'm at Cooper Tire. See, now something wonderful happens an opportunity for the Christian. When you commit your life to Christ, Jesus gives you an opportunity not only to go to heaven, but for Him to be in charge of your life. In other words, I can put Jesus first or I become first in my world. I'll illustrate it this way. Well, first of all, let me say this. How many know Adam and Eve in the Old Testament, when, they were, when, when God told them the ground was cursed, He was going to work by the sweat of His brow? But who's the one that makes that seed that Adam planted grow? God did. I've got a check in my, my hand this morning. It's from a mutual fund company. My daughter goes to college, and uh, she needed some books, a couple hundred dollars, and I'd saved a little bit for her for her college. So I simply called the the, the, the God Edward Jones, and and I said, "Hey, I need a couple hundred dollars." He said, "Okay, it's in the mail." In a couple of days, this check from American Fund shows up to reimburse me. So let me ask you, where did the provision for Bethany's books come from? The trick question. Did it come from just God? No. I had to save some money to get it there. Did it come from American funds? Was it their ingenuity? Was that the reason it happened? No. But a lot of people live that way. A lot of people stop right there and they think, I say I worked, I saved the money, I put it in a good investment, and now I've got some more to deal with. And God has nothing to do with it. And that's the way most people live in their life. But I want to suggest to you when the check comes in the mail, whether it comes from American Funds, Cooper Tire, your commission, or whatever you do, that God is the one that's behind that. Just like God gives seed, God is the one that causes bread to come in our lives as well. And this is the starting place for financial provision in uncertain times is a recognition that God is the one that's taking care of me and not just myself. Now, that doesn't mean that you can just stay home and, you know, hope the money shows up in the mailbox. I mean, no, it's Adam's fault that you've got to get out and work and hustle. It's Adam's fault that you've got to compete with other people in your industry. But God is the one that has the potential to take care of you while other people go over the edge. Somebody say, praise the Lord. He's the one that takes care of us. And let me, let me illustrate it this way. Let's say that you have saved money all your life. And uh, let's say you got $100,000 at retirement time. Well, you can take that $100,000 that you've kind of guarded over and you've got advice from people and everything how to take care of yourself. You can either kind of manage it and each month you take some of the interest or some of the dividends or whatever that's coming back to you. Or you can take that $100,000 and give it to an insurance company. It's called an annuity. And that insurance company will say, we'll take care of you with this money and we'll give you whatever, $1,000 a month for the next 10 years or the rest of your life. But what you had to do is you had to let them be your provider and not yourself. You had to take what was your total responsibility and you had to turn it over to them and you had to have some trust that they're going to manage it well and they're going to take care of you. And I'm suggesting to you that's the foundation of God taking care of us today that somehow I've got to shift ownership and responsibility from what I have off my shoulders onto his shoulders. I've got to seek 
first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then He'll give me, Matthew 6, 33 says, food, shelter, and clothing. Are you with me this morning? Let's look further. Luke chapter 9, and let's talk about supernatural principle of multiplication. Can you say multiplication? And this is what God can do. Now, here we've got another situation. I'm going to call it a mini-famine, but there's a bunch of hungry people. Jesus has been preaching. The disciples are there. There's a large crowd of people. Verse 12, it's late in the afternoon. Twelve disciples come to him, and they said, Send the crowds away so they can find food. Now, I want you to say this next phrase out loud with me. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. Can you say that again? There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. How many know nothing is nothing? It's what you see. There's, there's no more furniture jobs available in stamps. The factory's closed. There's nothing here. We're in a remote place. And Jesus said this, this most interesting thing. Now, to the casual observer, you'd say that it's absurd. But to the person that took a remedial math course, they see kingdom math is at work. What did Jesus say? You feed them. Now, didn't they just say, there's no food here, there's no McDonald's, there's no Subways, there's no, you know, there's no Walmarts, but Jesus said, you feed them. Now, how could they do it? It was humanly impossible. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You and I have been schooled in an American culture that's everything, God's not in the box. Everything can be explained rationally, scientifically. There's no such thing as a supernatural. God's not real. God's dead. That was for the people that needed that kind of support before we became intelligent. Yeah, we're really intelligent in America today. We are so intelligent, we think we can live on a $1.5 trillion operating deficit every year and just keep right on going and everything is going to be great. We're really smart in America today. We're really smart that we have gotten rid of God and produced a gener generations where homes have been broken and families have been destroyed and abortion is rampant and nobody knows the difference between right and wrong. We're really smart in America today, aren't we? When we've turned our backs on God, when we've forgotten God's ways. Well, this is kind of the, uh, of the setting there. But I'm going to suggest to you, if you just live in that box of reason and experience and logic, 3 minus 1 always will equal 2. And 3 minus 3 will equal 0. And if all you have is 0, you're not going to be able to do anything. But I'm going to suggest to you that God is outside of your box and 3 minus 1 can equal 4. Because something can come from outside the box and get in the box of your world. You know, there's 20,000 hungry people. The Bible tells us there's 5,000 men. Listen, what, their wives didn't stay at home. They probably brought their kids. So if everybody had a wife and at least two kids, there's over 20,000 people that Jesus is telling these guys to feed. And notice what they said in verse 13. They didn't say, oh, cool, Jesus, how are we going to do it? They said, no, well, all we've got here is five loaves of bread and two fish. It's like you drove through Chicken Express and you got one little box. You got a couple pieces of fish, you got some potatoes, you know, and you got whatever you got. And that's all you got. And they said, This is it, Jesus. Are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? They're just thinking inside the box. But notice what Jesus said now, verse 14. 5,000 men there in verse 16. Because he, what they're doing is they're looking for a logical solution to a supernatural need. And their thought process is entirely rational. But Jesus is now going to give them a lesson in kingdom math. He's going to show them 3 minus 1 can equal 4. So Jesus, verse 16, takes the loaves and the fish. He looked up to heaven, and what did he do? Now, isn't that the same thing that you and I are looking for? Isn't that what happened when Isaac planted 
his, his crops and that. What did he do? God blessed him. This sense of God coming out of the box into our world. So he broke the loaves in pieces, and that doesn't mean that everybody got a portion that was that big. See, that's in-the-box thinking. The Bible says he kept giving bread and fish to the disciples so he could distribute it to the people. They ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up leftovers. You say, well, that's impossible. You're exactly right. If all you're thinking is inside the box, 3 minus 1 equals 2. But if you are a believer, believing that God can intervene outside the box and get into your box, 3 minus 1 can equal 4. For example, why is Cooper Tire still open? Are they still open because of the tax incentives that were offered them? Or are they still open because of union concessions? Maybe a little bit. But is it just possible that God is the one that kept the plan open? Is it just possible that God heard your prayers, that God is our provider, even though you've got union reps and, poli and politi politicians and everybody else trying to keep it along, and you get the big email from your congressman about all that he did? Yeah, he did some work, just like Adam planted his seed by the toil of his ground, but how many know God is the one that makes it grow? So I want to, what I'm saying today, don't just, don't just hear the preacher saying, well, this mythical thing, this thing happened a long time ago. No, I'm saying bread and fishes can come in your life today. It might come in your life supernaturally like it did in their day, or God just might bless you on your work. You just might get increase. You might get more commissions. You might get an idea that just takes off in your world. I remember when a good friend of mine, probably 12 years ago, we were talking on a ball field about making a shift in his career, and he said, I just want to do the right thing. I want to make sure that this is God's idea, not just mine. And he prayed about it, and we talked. Well, listen, it, he turned into a path of prosperity in his life. So is it just because he's smart and he worked hard? It's a part of it. But God got behind it. And I'm telling you, when God blesses you, Small things can become big things in our lives. 5,000 men, he broke it all in pieces. So, here's the principle I want you to gather from this story of loaves and fish. What I have has got to be blessed before it can multiply. Let me say it again. God has got to take what I have, and you've got to seek God's blessing on what you have before it multiplies. And that's the thing that we're looking for in our lives. Now, didn't God say He'd multiply or bless our finances when you offer your tithe to Him? Isn't it the Scripture? Malachi 3, verse 10. Bring the tithe into the storehouse. Put me to the test, says the Lord, and see if I won't open for you the windows of heaven and pour down for you a... Is that what he's saying? I'm going to make 3 minus 1 equal 4? I'm going to take care of you until there's no more need? See, how in the world is it when you give something away that you can end up with more? How is that? How can I give something away? How can I give my time away? How can I give something away? How can I be generous but end up with something more? I tell you, it's kingdom math. It's God's hand on your life. And this is not just a money thing. I went to lunch the other day with Pastor Mike. We found a new catfish place. And uh, so we pulled in there, and, and Linnell was with us, and it said uh, four pieces of catfish, and, you know, whatever their price was. And we thought, oh, we'll just, Linnell, I said, we'll just split that. Well, they bring me out six pieces. And these are not baby pieces. These, they're that long. And I'm sitting down there, and all of a sudden, a friend of mine shows up. Now, my stingy side of me would say, oh, praise the Lord. Linnell can have two, and I got four. But he sat down, and, and our food came, and I said, I pulled out a napkin, and I said, here, eat a piece of this fish. And then I got to looking at it. I can't eat three fish here. 
I said, why don't you just eat this fish and we'll order you a side. So three of us ate from one little meal. But before I started being challenged in my own world about generosity, I would have been thinking about the doggy bag. How many doggy bags have you gotten Then you tried to reheat that? Catfish is not the same in the microwave. But something about us wants to hold on. See, and we want to hold on to it because we think that that's going to be our provision. But is it just possible that God could get behind it? And God could be, you said, well, that's a generous cook. Maybe, but who made him generous? And I looked around the room and nobody else got six pieces. I'm just saying this morning, I want you to think there is a box that we need to get beyond. You know, this whole thing about tithing and God opening the windows of our life. Is it just possible that most of us today are living under an open heaven? If you've got food to eat, now listen to me, if you've got food to eat and a house to live in, if you've got a car, if you've got so many clothes in your closet that you cannot wear all of them in two months' period of time, is it possible that the heavens are opened over you already? But we just think because we don't have a bigger house, we don't have the new thing that somebody else has because all my, all my desires are not met, that my heavens are not... Are you with me today? Is it possible we're living under the goodness of God and don't even realize it? Let's look at one more. Go to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17, this is another real-life famine. You know, when I read the Bible, I don't read just for historical information. When I read the Bible, I am looking for how I can apply that in my world today. How about you? I want to read and understand it historically, but I want to be able to see how it fits in today's world. And what spiritual truth in 2010 can I take out of something that happened seven or 800 years before Christ was born? Listen to this story, 1 Kings 17. It's about faith, obedience, and generosity. If you'll take three fingers and do that in the air just a second. Faith, obedience, and generosity. See, now, uh, Isaac had faith, obedience, and he worked. But here's a woman who's going to take faith, obedience, and generosity. And I want you to see how these three work together. Verse 8, this big famine. Now, the reason they're having a famine is because God was, was doing something to the people. He was judging the nation. And the prophet Elijah had basically proclaimed a drought. And as he's proclaiming this drought all over the countryside... You know, the rain stops, the crop stops growing, but God took Elijah and he put him in the wilderness by a creek and that's where he was able to live for three years of his life. And you know how God fed that boy? God sent a bird to him. So this crow, this raven, in the morning he goes by Subway's and picks up their little breakfast burrito. At lunchtime he goes by Quiznos and at dinnertime he goes by Cracker Barrel. Are you understanding me today? Now, I don't know what he brought Elijah But I know that this bird fed him, but something happened. After three years, the Bible said the brook dried up. Now, can I tell you, the way God has taken care of you up to this point may not be the way God will take care of you in your future. What God has used to care for you up till today may not be enough for tomorrow. But if your brook dries up, does not mean that God is not concerned. If your brook dries up, it does not mean that God is no longer God. It simply means you've got to get yourself back in a faith mode. I think sometimes we, we're striving towards being comfortable and independent, and God wants us to be dependent on Him. See, God, do you think God wants us to have less faith or more faith? You know, in the book of James, it says the poor are rich in... 
Now, now think about that just a minute. The Bible's not extolling poverty. The poor, rich in faith, it's simply saying this. Need and lack have the potential to draw you closer to God than abundance. It just does. You will pray more in a time of lack. You will find God's will. You will go deeper in God when there's a limitation. And that may not mean that you're a bad person, that you're in sin. It may just You may be under spiritual attack or you may be in a nation in transition like Elijah was in his day. All of a sudden, the brook dries up. Now, look at this cool story. Let's finish it up. Verse 8. The Lord said to Elijah, I want you to go and live in the village of Zarephath. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. Now, think about this. What kind of widow would you want God to send you to if he told you to leave Texarkana and just go west? i tell you the widow woman that I'd want to live with. I'd want to go with my wife, of course. I'd want to go to that big house that was built along about Sulphur Springs or so, you know, that great big house on the side of the road. Now, I, I think I'm correct in this, is that the widow of the man who invented uh, J.B. Weld, that that was her house, that they lived a real modest life until he passed away, and then she thought, well, I guess I'm just going to show the girlfriends around the neighborhood now how God blessed us, and she builds this big mansion. That's where God should send you, Right. You just get in the car and you put in your GPS, come on, and take me to the rich widow's house. That's the way I think. But that's not what God does. His favored servant, verse 10, and he arrives, here's a widow woman gathering sticks. And he said, would you bring me a little cup of water? Now stay with me just a couple more minutes. Bring me a little cup of water. Now what's the most precious thing in a drought? Yeah. She doesn't have much of it. And also bring me a bite of bread. But verse 12, she said this, I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. Isn't that what the disciples said? I don't have any bread. I have only a handful of flour in a jar. Didn't the disciples in Jesus' day say, I have only five loaves and a couple pieces of fish? So now she says, I have only a little flour. Can I tell you, your only is in the box. God can put you outside of the box. God can make the box bigger. Look, look at what he does. I was gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then and my son and I are going to die. Now, listen, every one of us is smart enough to know that the last thing you do when you're broken in need is give something away. It's one thing when I'm sitting here on my second meal of the day looking forward to the third meal and the snack in between, and I have six pieces of fish on the plate. Come on, it's fairly easy to share the first one. The second one is a little questionable. But that's fairly easy to share. But when you've got just this last little bit and you're down to nothing, how many know that's pretty hard to give away? Now, don't you think of those three words, generosity, faith, and obedience. Because when you're broke, three minus, come on, three equals zero. But God can make three minus three equal 33 somehow, and you get an A and not an F. Look at verse 13. Elijah said to her, what did he say? Don't be. Now, why did he say don't be afraid? It's because the same reason Jesus had to teach about worry. Every one of us, when we think about lack and we look into an uncertain future, we're afraid because we don't know what's going to happen. And we think, I've got to take care of myself because nobody's there for me. Are you with me? And somehow in America, we have substituted government for God. And we look to the hand of man to give us everything. Now, thank God for our, our, our unemployment and everything else, but our government is not our provider. I mean, no, God is ultimately our provider. Don't be afraid, which is simply a way of saying, listen, fear can make you hold on and not trust God. 
Well, look at verse 13, continuing. Make a little bread for me. Now, how many know the, the thing that we would normally do is take a bite first? And if we don't like it or we're full, then we give it away. But what he said is give some to me first. And here's the question she had to answer at that point. Do I believe that God can make three minus one become four? Do I believe God can come out of the box? Well, verse 13, Elijah said, Use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord says. There'll always be flour and oil left in your container until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her son continued to eat for many days. Look at verse 16. There was always... Say it again. There was always enough. Now, bread and a little oil may not be the most tasty meal on the planet. But there's always enough. Give me this day. Sometimes daily bread is a lobster and everybody said, praise the Lord. Sometimes it's a thick steak. Sometimes it's a piece of bread. But didn't Paul the Apostle say, I've learned how to have a lot and I've learned how to have a little. But I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. See, what I'm talking about to you, this, this series, is not just about getting more. It's about being able to have peace in your life when you put your head on your pillow. It's about not living a life that is overwhelmed with debt. It's a life about being able to be happy with what you have, not what you don't have. Well, her generosity, her faith, and obedience. Let me ask you this. What would have happened if she'd have said no? Remember, because she had a choice. Elijah said, give me something to drink and give me something to eat. And she had to say yes or... And what do you think would have happened if she'd have said no? She'd been dead. What happens when I say no to God? What happens because I'm so conservative, come on, because I'm a good budgeter, a good money manager, and God's trying to say, I'm trying to open the windows of heaven over your life. Would you just, would you just take a remedial course in math? And would you believe that I can do a little bit more than you're able to do for yourself? Well, I don't understand how, how a, a chicken express box can feed 20,000 people. Well, I don't know that either. But God can bless it and turn a little into a lot. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. Let me close with this and then we're going to pray. God's going to take care of us when we make Him first. Now, here's a New Testament from the lips of Jesus. And I'll introduce this and we'll pick it up next week financial worry about the future and jesus said verse 31 don't worry and say what are we going to eat drink or wear and look at this next phrase the people who don't know god keep trying to get these things the people who don't know god that's their whole concern in life making the mortgage payment making the interest payment getting the divisibility policy making the investment that's the whole world. That's all they think about. But notice what it says in the rest of that phrase. Your Father in heaven. What does that say to me? That says, God, my provider, my source, is looking down upon me, and he knows and he cares. Now, God may not be obligated to, you know, if I go out and buy a $50,000 bass boat. Is there such a thing as a $50,000 bass boat? Okay. God may not be obligated to make that $800 a month payment on my bass boat. Now, I know I thought when I bought it, I prayed about it, and that if I won a tournament, I told Jesus I'd give him, you know, the first year's worth. God may not be obligated to that one. 
But there's food and there's clothing and there's shelter. But notice what he says. He contrasted the people of the world to us. And what did he tell us, we that have a Father in heaven? He said, seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. And all your other needs will be met as well. He didn't say quit your job. He didn't say don't get up and go to work. He didn't say don't go to to college. He just simply said, and all you do, put me first. And all you do, get up in the morning and say, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. And when you get in the car with that big commission check in your hand, or you get in the car with that contract in your hand, you look at it and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you gave me. Now listen, I I did my part. I did the Adam part, planting the seed, and I did the toil. But look at what you gave me. Look at what you provided for me. And how many know that God that did it before can do it again? And you see, God responds to my generosity, and He gives me more, so I can not only have my needs, but then I share a little bit more. And that's the cycle of the kingdom. And my prayer for you is that what's what follows your life. That you are cared for. And no matter what America's future holds, how many know our lives are in the hand of God? Come on, give him one last hand today. We want to have a little time of prayer now. But how many would say to me this morning, say, Pastor, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me this morning. Through your message, I've been hearing the voice of God. Let me see your hand this morning. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't want to just give you information. I want, as we open the Bible, there to be a voice within my voice that's talking to you about something in your life that's very practical, very usable, very real, and it's real. How many would also say, Pastor, my finances are not where they need to be. They're not where I want them to be. And I need God to help me get to that place. Let me see your hand this morning. Yeah, most people in the room. You know what? I want to pay off my car loan. I got a car note and a house note. I want to pay them both off. How about you? I want to be able to pay cash for things. I want to be able to get out of debt. So I, I, I'm sharing a journey with you here. But there's maybe, as we, as we pray this morning, maybe something in your life is a real mountain. Maybe it's not just if you're going to play extra principle on the note. Maybe it's, I don't know if I'm going to make the note. And you want somebody to take your hand today and pray with you and believe God that God's going to help you. Maybe fear is a part of your life. Maybe worry. I want to tell you, there's a time when the Spirit of God can move in your life this morning. And God can help you in a big way. But, but it doesn't just have to be in this prayer time about the message. You can have anything in the world that you're struggling with and you need somebody to pray for you. You need somebody to help you. You need, it, it may not even be your personal need. It may be a family. It may be a friend where you're standing in the place of prayer with them. You get some agreement going, how hey, many know God can do something big? We'll pray for you in just a minute. But here's one last thing I'm going to ask, and then we'll have everybody stand up. We'll sing a song to one time, and then you'll be dismissed to go. But they'll stay and pray as long as they want. Here's one more question I want to ask before we come for prayer. How is your spiritual life? If you were to die today, are you 100% certain you'd go to heaven? Can I tell you, there's nothing more important than that. Nothing more important than your relationship with it. Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Are you a Christian? Are you living the life before God? Have you, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Here's something I know. Those two pieces of wood on our stage with the light shining on them, it represents something that happened a couple thousand years ago when Jesus Christ came to this earth because we as people had a problem. We had a problem that was so big, it's called sin. And it's like we're all treading water for a little while. And sin is like a weight on our feet. The problem is there's no life preserver, there's no rescue coming other than Christ. And you've got ankle weights trying to tread water. And the problem is you can tread a little while. The younger you are, the longer you can tread. But at some point, you're going under. And I don't care if you took the Red Cross course and you know how to use your pants for a life jacket. Listen, I'm telling you, your pants have a hole in it. You can't save yourself. At some point, you're going under. Jesus Christ offers you a way out. 
He offers you the only way on this planet so sins can be forgiven. See, that's what... Remember, Jesus was dead and now He's not dead. He's alive. And He paid the price for your sins. It, it, but, but you know what? You have to make a step to Him. You not only have to ask Christ to forgive you, you have to be willing to turn your heart to follow Him. And it's not going to church that makes you a Christian. It's turning your life over to Christ. And I ask this morning, have you done that? I ask you today, are you walking with God? Because if you're not, you can be. For some of you here, it may be the first time you've ever prayed to receive Christ. For others that are here today, you know what it means to be a Christian, but you just got off base. It doesn't matter how it happened. It happened, and today you want to get back. You want Christ to be first in your life. You want to get right with Him. But if that's you this morning and you want prayer to get right with God this morning, you need to get right with God before you leave this place. Let me see your hand. Do it real quickly this morning. Say, I need to get right with God this morning, Pastor. And I've got the guts to say it. Because here's the deal I know. If I can't say it in a church, God bless you in the back. Give them a hand. Two people back there. Give them a big hand. Somebody else. God bless you right over here. Or maybe we were just waving at the lights over there. But I need to get right with God. See, here's what I know. If you can't raise your hand to get right with God in church, you'll never do it in the world on Monday. Somebody else, I need to get right with God. Saw a hand over there. Yeah, God bless you too. Give, give her a hand. God bless you. Anybody else this morning? All right, here's what we're going to do. Pastor Nick's going to play. We're going to sing this song, through, this song through one time. And I want you to stand to your feet. And as you're standing, if you want prayer, if you just committed your life to Christ, you come let us pray for you. If you're needing prayer for anything this morning, you come and let somebody pray for you. Our prayer team is coming right now. I want you to just come out and follow them. You that lifted your hands, come on up let us pray for you one more time. Let us pray for you. Let us help you. Let us give you something for your next step. You need prayer for God's help today. You come on up and we'll pray. I run to you, fall on my knees, and I worship you.